0: Okay. Book of Fell, yay. So I noticed that in this edition, which I think is the same as yours, that is the second Norton Critical, they do put quotation marks into the Book of Fell. Did you find that? No. No? Really? Did they? What do you mean? (laughs) No, you're not using this. (laughs) In this edition, it's good that they don't on the Poetry Foundation. But if you look at the Book of Thel, um, yeah, when the
1: different things speak, they have quotations. Yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah, yeah, When the
0: when the different things speak,
2: they do have quotations. Yeah. you meant around the whole
0: format. Yeah, so they really shouldn't. Um, I guess it makes it slightly um, more user friendly, but um, maybe they should put them in brackets. So remember, I complained that the first edition of the Norton had quotation marks in the Songs of Innocence and of Experience where they shouldn't have. Um, so the second edition doesn't do that, which is good. But it turns out the Book of Fell does do it, which is less good. But it's okay. I thought we could look at one more song of experience before we get to the Book of Fell. What did you guys think? But let me just ask, what did you guys think of the Book of Fell? Yeah. Oh, so it's it's the, the there is this there is this way people raise hands meaning liked it. It's like a Facebook like, and then there's sometimes they actually have something to say. So you're just saying you liked it.
1: Oh, I loved it. I think it actually like it more than the songs of the
0: experience. Okay.
1: I just like the fairy tale like quality and the surrealness yeah. of it. And it's saying something that's really strong too, so it's not like something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What well, all fairy they'll say something, but yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it's definitely saying something, and what it's saying is something that we need to think about but it is saying something were people baffled by it there's i mean the songs of innocence and experience whatever else they are they're not baffling on the whole you may sometimes wonder why something is a song of innocence when it looks like it's a little bit cynical or why something is a song of experience when it looks like there's still a lot of innocence in it and there are a couple of poems as you know that switched places from the songs of innocence to the songs of experience but the book of Thel might just be completely baffling. Yeah.
1: It it actually reminded me of a short story I read in high school. Yeah. About a girl who wanted a boyfriend. Uh huh. And then she went into a garden, and then there was um, a well in the middle of the garden, and then the well spoke to her. And wow. She said that uh, if you want to have a boyfriend, a couple put flowers in the water, in my water. And then she did. And then she drowned. And then she died. Uh, wow. And the well was like, now I'm your boyfriend. And then, so yeah, it would kind of <laughs> like the same.
0: So so it's like Prince meets Blake? Kind
1: of, yeah.
0: Yeah. If I was your boyfriend? Yeah. 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 Okay, nice. Wait, you wrote it or yeah. read it? I wrote
2: it. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's great, do you still have it? I don't
2: know where I put it. I wrote it on paper, so you read it um, in German or English? English. But you went to high school in Germany, didn't you? Yes, I
0: did. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's relevant and so that and interesting that there's enough similarity between the Book of Thel and your sense of the relationship of sexuality and mortality, maybe, that you would come up with a similar, a somewhat similar image—that is, the well in your story, and the open grave at the end of the Book of Hell. So that's great. Were other people confused by it? Did you like it and were confused by it? Did you? I'm gonna go with that. You're, you're gonna go with liked it and was confused. Yeah, is that different from liked it but was confused? Or is it the same thing?
1: Um, I guess it's kind of the
0: Kind okay. of like Rape
2: of the Lock, actually.
0: <laughs> it's, well, yes. You mean there are a lot of talking supernatural creatures. Yeah, and, and you don't
2: really get what's going on. But it's also kind of cool, but you also don't really get what's going on.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, Blake and Pope are probably about as different poets as you're <laughs> going to find in English but
2: I think I've already found that yes
0: but that's really really interesting okay well let's look at the poem called London in the songs of experience which is page 41 if you have the Norton and we don't need to spend a ton of time on this poem although people do It might also be worth looking, just to give a context, what I want to do is have London be a little bit of a context for the Book of Thel, but maybe as a little bit of a context for London, look at the poem on the previous page called The Garden of Love, which might be a 12-line version of the Book of Thel. Someone want to read it? Oh, don't all raise your hands at once. How will I choose? No, cool.
2: London. No, the Garden of Love. The Garden of Love, sorry. The Garden of Love. I went to the Garden of Love and saw what I, what I never had seen. A chapel was built in the midst, where I used to play on the green. And the gates of this chapel were shut, and thou shalt not writ over the door. So I turned to the Garden of Love that so many sweet flowers bore. And I saw it was filled with graves, and tombstones where flowers should be, and priests and black gowns were walking their rounds, and binding with bri- with briars, my joys and
0: desires. Okay, so quickly, who's the I in that? What kind of person? What you're going to see in London is another poem that begins with the pronoun I. I wander through each chartered street. Doesn't seem to be the same I, so we wouldn't quite say that it was Blake. We'd say it's whoever what is happening in the poem happens to, maybe. So what kind of person is it in the Garden of Love? Maybe a child or a lover? Or a child or a lover? Is there a difference? Or what would the difference... How, what would the significance of the difference be? So I went to the Garden of Love and saw what I never had seen. What does that mean about the speaker? Before
2: they've never fallen in love before.
0: Okay, literally, they're innocent. they're innocent, so they've never fallen in love before. So literally, they are describing. Do you think the speaker is male or female? Female. Why? I don't know. I
1: just see it as a Gucci advert for perfume. For- <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an image. So, a female speaker, do other people agree the speaker's female? Yeah, just because, like, the way that the
1: church is described is so antagonistic, like, it seems, like, to be about female sexuality.
0: Okay, yeah. Why uh, why would that be about female sexuality?
1: Because the church is really obsessed with female virginity.
0: Okay, good. And marriage. Uh, Sorry?
1: And marriage, like walking down the aisle.
0: Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, so the speaker goes to the garden of love. That means she. Does anyone want to say he?
2: I was thinking he, but I guess that's wrong.
0: Well, no. What is it? What seems?
2: Well, I was thinking. I was never. I mean, I actually wasn't even thinking of the gender at all. But I don't. I only now am I realizing why it makes more sense for it to be a she. But I feel like it could. I was just thinking that it could just be a really young male.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's someone, and and that's why you were using the term innocence. So
2: yeah, especially like the lack of knowledge of love, like for for this might be a bad stereotype, but I somehow feel like girls know about love before boys too.
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: and so, just the lack of knowledge of love kind of worked as a male figure for me, kind of.
0: Huh. Interesting. <laughs> It, it could just possibly be that people see the eye here, although that's clearly not going on in this class, but people might see the eye here as their own gender, which is to say someone who has, is experiencing what everyone experiences, and what they're experiencing is a awareness, a coming to awareness of the sexuality, of gender difference, or of gender Itself, and therefore you might what the pronoun you choose might have something to do with your own experience so that's possible also it does seem that the I in London would someone read London? Megan you look like you were about to volunteer I'm so glad <laughs>
3: <laughs> I wander through each chain street near where the church tends to flow I'm marking every past I'm marking every face I meet Marks of weakness, marks of woe. In every cry of every man, in every infant's cry of fear, in every voice in every man, the mind forged manifold I hear. How the chimney sweepers cry, every blackened church it falls, and hapless soldiers and the hapless soldiers sigh from in blood down palace walls. But most through midnight streets I hear, how the youth harlots curse, how the youthful harlots curse, blasts the newborn in this tear, and blights the floods with marriage. Blakes
0: with place in their Church. Thank you. Blakes with Plot. No, it doesn't work. Um, What gender there of the speaker? Why?
1: Um, I, I think it's the... I suppose like the industrialness of of the city. Mm-hmm. And also like in the last stanza, How the Youthful Harlot's Purse. I wouldn't imagine a woman in okay. his time calling other like like she would think it, I would assume, yeah. but it wouldn't be like her place to say you're a harlot. Yeah. I think it would be a word that would come very easily out of a man's mouth.
2: Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think more obviously in ev- uh, in every crave of every man, mm-hmm. like it would probably be in every crave of every woman if it was a female narrator.
0: Okay, or maybe it's that the notion of something like full experience is what is the figures who are least able to be mistaken as innocent, which are not women because women can be mistaken as, even grown adult women can be mistaken as innocent because they're protected from the world by social mores and social demands. The very fact that the speaker is walking alone through London, that's not something a woman would do at the time. The danger to women who are unaccompanied is large, yeah.
3: The other
1: thing is just the phrase the marriage hearse. To me, like something
0: that would be a myth. like for men, marriage is more of a confinement for women. It's like the path that you do. Yeah, and it's it's limiting. Yeah, so it's definitely an anti-marriage poem. The marriage hearse. It's quite that's quite a phrase, not the marriage carriage. Uh, not it's the hearse in which what's set on the back is just married, or it's <laughs> a carriage in which what's said on the back is just died or something like that
2: wow
0: (laughs) so this is too depressing it is depressing Uh, one question you can ask is do you think the speaker of this poem do you think the speaker of this poem is Blake probably not but it's harder not to see this poem as the voice of the bard that is Blake in his Most undisguised mode in describing how terrible things are in London. That is, there are poems in the Songs of Experience that are poems of sheer anger, like the Holy Thursday version of the Songs of Experience. Is this a holy thing to see? That is, it's simply an expression of anger that this is what those in power are doing. So that if you look at, uh, I, I wouldn't say the tiger quite works that way. Obviously, the angel doesn't. But the Holy Thursday, this is page 31, is that, you don't have to go, but just listen. Is this a holy thing to see? So it's Holy Thursday. And the question is, but is it now? And it's a really angry, is it now? Is this a holy thing to see? In a rich and fruitful land, babes reduced to misery, fed with cold and usurious hand? Is that tr- trembling cry a song? Just reminding you of it. Is that, can it be a song of joy? And so many children poor, and then the first sentence, it is a land of poverty. So that it, it's a very angry poem. And London is a similarly angry poem. We'll look at it in a minute. Maybe the female version that is female in 1794 according to how those categories are understood and reacted to and used then, the female version would be the Garden of Love. So I went to the Garden of Love versus I went to not love but London. I went to the garden of love and saw what I never had seen. So, she's been to the garden of love before. That's the first thing to notice, which means it can't be the first time that she's experiencing love. It may be, however, and I think maybe, Nicole, this is what you were registering, is that it's the first time she's experiencing sexuality or experiencing sexuality as something forbidden, which might be crucial to the experience of sexuality is that there is a sense that it's the forbidden, that you're supposed to wear clothes. I mean, just in ordinary life, you're supposed to wear clothes when you're around other people, but (laughs) sex means taking them off. And that sense of original sin, as Augustine calls it, the sense of sex as sin is a large part of its appeal. That could be why it would be the poem, the first poem of genuine sexuality of love as sex rather than love as affection, or something like that oh, just like um
2: this is probably a really bad an- <laughs> connection, but the idea of like the um appeal of sex coming from the fact that it 's a sin, it yep. kind of reminds me of the the the
0: the poem with the Hermes and Aphrodite. Yes, yeah, yeah, by yeah, yeah the Aphrodite. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 why we use the word dirty as a, or why your generation uses the word filthy as a term of praise, right? Don't yeah. you? <laughs> we do. I mean, yeah, I so know we do. What? In Minnesota, you do. I right? said in sports example. Yeah, that was a filthy play, yeah. which is absolute term of praise. Hmm. Um, but it, it, sick, yeah, yeah, sick, or illen. And then, I mean, yeah, or wicked. Wicked, yes, that's a local. That's or local. Or people say, I'm
2: bad, but it means
0: I'm like good. Yeah. A badass. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, or a badass, I was yeah. shocked at badass when I first read yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: but I think you're like a bad bitch.
2: No, like, oh, you're like... I'm bad, you know, like after, like if you score a home run or something like that, people say that, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you don't say it, Olivia. No. <laughs> right. you I mean, just, you... It's just like a sports thing. What? I don't
2: to live. What? But,
0: like, I'm bad. Like what? what? No, people definitely say that. But badass. Like, yeah. 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 Okay. But... well, what about wicked? <laughs> but
1: <laughs> <laughs> wicked good yeah. such and such yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. wicked this yeah, that that thing about the i thought too This that's chimney really sweep thing, thing that he, he where are from? <laughs> yeah. you from? Hand, yeah. 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 And from yeah yeah Oh, i'm from the usher's hand that would be the masters who these little kids are turning all their money over yeah we had did a lot yeah
0: like i didn't hear people say that the word british okay or awfully but the idea of filthy as a term of praise probably derives from the idea of dirty, as something which is pleasurable within sex. Mm-hmm. That is, if you want to rent a dirty movie, it's not that you uh, that you object to the dirtiness of it. And the well, is it? What do you think dirty?
2: No, about? I'm laughing at the as me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Talk dirty to me—that's the title of a movie, right? Uh, So, so what? Yeah. So, so filthy is probably derived from that. The way lots of slang is derived from older slang. You know about okay, right? We talked about this in the 18th century. Oh,
2: yeah, but that's not anything dirty.
0: No, but it's derived from older slang. Slang tends to be derived from older slang.
2: Oh, correct. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. So it was. It was originally all um, correct. Was what people, pe- So there. There were. There were kids in New York City, who instead of saying all right, thought it was cool. Although they didn't have the concept of cool, they had the concept. <laughs> they didn't have the word. Thought that it would be cool not to say all right, but to be a little bit affected and say all correct. So, I'll meet, I'll meet you tomorrow, all correct? And the other person would say, all correct. And so they thought that was witty. And then they decided that they would spell all correct in the Dutch manner because New York City used to be New Amsterdam. So instead of spelling it A-L-L-C-O-R-R-E-C-T, they spelt it O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T. K t or e c t and then they abbreviated all correct spelled that way to okay so that no one didn't no one who didn't know what was going on would understand that okay meant all right. How could they possibly know that okay was an abbreviation for all right It's the same kind of thing that us youth do today when we when we text right so it's when you, when you do texting, and you also do something like, well, your version of that would be Z-O-M-G. Do you know where the little Z comes from in god. Wait,
2: first of all, I didn't <laughs> even know there was a Z O M G. Really?
0: You guys are not with it. Why? Here, just Google Z-O-M-G right now.
2: I've never heard of I I don't know. Yes, you have.
1: <laughs> I've never heard of that.
0: Does
1: everybody know it? No.
0: Z-O-M-G, like that. Small Z, capital O M G.
1: Uh,
0: used to express great surprise and excitement. See?
1: Oh, I see, yeah, I see, the Z was originally a mistake while attempting to hit the hit the shift. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't happen on phones.
0: It, maybe you guys are too young because you do all your all your writing on on phones. But it does happen if you try to hit the shift key and you hit the Z instead. So you or so you hit the Z, then you hit shift right after that, so the Z appears and then it's O M G. So. It's like being pwned, which is also a typo. Yeah. Huh? P-W-N-E-D. Instead of ownd. O-W-N-E-D. Uh, so if you're pwned, it means the other person. It's like Nancy Pelosi totally pwned Donald Trump about the wall. And... Um, what does that mean? Pwned means that you were beaten badly by your opponent. And, and where does is, that from? Owned O W N E D and it's a typo for owned that occurred a lot in gaming. So (laughs) it became pwned and that became standard slang. So slang is always a derivative from other slang, or not always, but frequently. Filthy probably comes from dirty. And the idea at Filthy Rich. Yeah, but but filthy rich is not praise. If you say something as filthy as praise it comes from praise of certain kinds of sex. Which, at any rate, Blake's idea, which you'll see later, is he says, bread is sweet, but bread eaten in secret is far sweeter still. So it's the idea that doing something secretly and guiltily and getting away with it is most of the fun. That can be the difference between innocent Sexuality when there aren't whisperings in the dale, but there's just laughter on the hill, or not it not not innocent sexuality, innocent love. On the echoing green, that's the innocent version of the nurse's song. But the experienced version is it's not only sex, but it's whispering, it's keeping it quiet, it's not letting the nurse know. So that your winter, your spring and your day are wasted in play, that's youth, that's innocence. And your winter and night in disguise, why disguise? Why not your winter and night in sex? But the idea is that it's kept secret. And the, and a lot of the temptation of sex is its sinfulness, at least for us fallen sinful people who inherit original sin from Adam and Eve. So that idea is that going to the Garden of Love when you are experienced may be going to a place of prohibition as well. Yeah,
1: Is it possible to be experienced and innocent at the same time?
0: That is the question that Blake is going to pursue. So what do you think?
1: Yes. How? Well, I think like, well, if you go back to, like, last semester, like, the Enlightenment people, like, reason is, um, like, the thing that's used to help us moderate our pleasure, or, like, regulate. Mm And I think it's kind of the same concept, but, like, here with, like, religion, so if you practice religion devoutly and selflessly and religiously, I think you will regain the innocence Mm -hmm. of Childhood, mm-hmm.
0: but you will also be like
1: an adult.
0: Okay. Like Zen. Okay. So that that's one way of understanding it, and I think maybe that is the direction we'll see Blake going. The other way of understanding it is people who think they're guilty when they're not, and that is something that the church and the authorities are very powerfully able to inculcate a sense... I mean, the very idea of original sin would be an idea that you're guilty of being... that by being human, you're guilty and you should be seeking to engage in penance. You should be repenting. You should be looking for absolution from God when there's nothing you need to be absolved for. And... It is the case that one way that, that power exercises itself is by making those who are innocent think that they're guilty, feel that they're guilty. One of the... Guilt is a great, is a great motivator. And the fact that you feel guilty is possibly, just to put it in the most general sense, the most general way possible the fact that you feel guilty might be a really good sign that you're innocent those who are really guilty of crimes don't feel guilty for them those who are intentional criminals those who are absolutely willing to play hardball and willing to exploit anyone who can be exploited they're really gleeful about it and if you feel guilty, not if you express guilt, which may be BS, but if you feel guilty, that's a sign that you're not entirely guilty. Yeah. What
1: about the guy in Crime and
0: Punishment? Well, that's a really good example, Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment, who we like in the end. And the the detective who is after him is someone we get more and more worried about him as he comes closer and closer to catching him, and yeah, he's he's guilty of murder, but there is something that makes him compelling as a character because he has an innocent soul, despite being guilty of murder. He has an innocent soul. But like
1: back to what you're saying you is that he wanted to kill his family. Yeah. He wanted to. Yeah. And he's still innocent.
0: Well, it, you're asking, can, can experience and innocence go together? And the strong version of that would be, can guilt and innocence go together? And to say that they can't, to say that they can isn't to say that the guilt, that doing something guilty isn't there, because Raskolnikov really is guilty of murder. But to say that you can still, in some sense, be an innocent even if you're guilty of murder is I think what Dostoevsky, that's what he's pushing, that you can be guilty of the standard crime, the, the crime that measures what crime actually is, which is murder and murder of someone helpless and murder of someone who can't defend herself. And you can have committed that crime, and that doesn't mean that you've entirely given up a claim to... Being an innocent person, not innocent of the crime, obviously, but um, nevertheless that, that you're an innocent person in the way, let's say, that a vice president who wants to have his company get a lot of contracts in a war zone starts a war in order to make that possible. That would be guilty in a sense that's much harder to defend than Raskolnikov, who is is confused, I mean, really badly confused, which is partly a sign of innocence. The vice president who did that wouldn't be confused in doing it. He would know exactly what he was doing. Is there some sense of innocence in him also, possibly? Maybe. It's possible, but it's a harder case to make. But the point about the Garden of Love and we do have to get to the Book of Thel, but the point about the Garden of Love is that the speaker has been there before. And for her, it's the Garden of Love. That is, it's not the Garden of Sex, it's the Garden of Love. What garden should you immediately think of whenever you read about a garden in literature?
2: The apple, the Adam and
0: you, yeah. yeah. What do we call that garden? Eden. Eden, Eden. yes. <laughs> uh, you can also think of the Garden of Adonis, but the Garden of Eden, yes. The Garden of Adonis is for the Spencer class. The Garden of Eden. And what happens in the Garden of Eden? We're driven out of Eden. Eden becomes a place that has been the place of human joy and then becomes the place of human prohibition because that is where human sin first occurred. So she goes to the Garden of Love and saw what I never had seen. So she'd been there many times before. Otherwise, she wouldn't say never. you The second time you go to a place, you don't say, I never saw that here before. You would say, the last time I was here, that wasn't there. But not, I never saw that there before. And so what I never had seen, a chapel was built in the midst where I used to play on the green. So used to play.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and we've seen other poems in which children are playing on the green. The echoing green is one of them. And what's another? Nurse's song, yes So where I used to play now there's a chapel A chapel may not be a bad thing It may be a place which is We may think that it's a place which is a temple to love And possibly it is That suddenly the garden of love becomes a place in which love is worshipped rather than being something which was simply experienced. So I don't mean experienced in the experienced way, I mean experienced as in it was a place of love. Now it's a place where love becomes worshipped, and that can at first possibly mislead you into thinking that's a good thing, because a chapel is a place of praise and prayer and, and honor. But it turns out not to be a good thing because we find out and the gates of this chapel were shut and thou shalt not writ over the door. So where's thou shalt not from? The 10 commandments. So this chapel is saying that the garden of love now has a region in it and in which is forbidden. And not only is it forbidden, but the chapel seems to stand for prohibitions in general because you can read Thou shalt not over the door of the chapel, even though you're not in it. So it's not, you don't get to go into this chapel. It's in this garden, the chapel stands for authority. And the authority is saying, so what we would say in the real world is it stands for the church.
2: Yeah. Even before the gates of the chapel are shut, I think we already get a feeling that the chapel's a bad thing because, like, there's no more room for play. Right,
0: yes. Yeah, where I used to play. Where there's where the chapel is. The chapel is just where I used to play on the green. So the place of play has been displaced by the chapel. And the chapel, therefore, is part of a church. So I turned to the Garden of Love. She turns away from the chapel to the garden that surrounds it that so many sweet flowers bore. So it was a place where there were so many sweet flowers in the past, she turns away from the thou shalt not to this place of flowers, but it turns out that it's filled with graves. So that should remind you of the Book of Thel. This poem is probably written after the Book of Fell. So, and I saw it was filled with graves and tombstones where flowers should be. So what had been a place of life and play and love has now become a place of death, and priests in black gowns were walking their rounds so the same priests that we see in Holy Thursday in the experienced version of Holy Thursday and priests in black gowns were walking their rounds and binding with briars. what are briars. The ones. <laughs> No, (laughs) not that I know of. (laughs) Beers? You're thinking of beers? No, thorns. Uh. So instead of flowers, what we get are the thorns. A briar patch. Sorry. It's
3: like a thorny
0: bush. A thorny bush. Yeah, it's a briar patch. Is what you don't want to get stuck in. If you go into the briar patch, you'll get scratched and and. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind of thing that all kids go into once, and they're shocked. That their bushes like this. They think, oh, it's just vegetation. And then they just get scratched and their clothes get caught and it's terrible. So, binding with briars my joys and desires. And then the word desires there means what? Why joys and desires?
2: Joys is like the, the, the childhood joys and desires are the desires that she has now.
0: Yeah. So in some sense, we can feel that Joys is playing on the green, and that's gone, and Desires is something like what the experienced nurse is talking about, sexual desires. And all of that is bound with Briars. There's a, It's Briars that the prince has to hack through in Sleeping Beauty. Briars are... Not that he would have known that, but he might have, but I don't think he would have. But Briars are are thorn bushes which make motion and passage difficult and here impossible. What had been a place of joy and of flowers has now become a place of devastation and of waste and of briars and thorn bushes instead of flowers. So that's the move from innocence to experience. And you can probably feel this as a 12-line version of the Book of Thel which we'll talk about. Let's go to London. There's one other poem I want to show you as well, just because it's a great poem. But London, I wander through each chartered street, where chartered means, as the footnote will tell you, it's permitted by London. The streets are established. They're placed under the rule of law, They are permitted to some. They are also simply mapped. And that's near where the chartered Thames does flow. We know where the Thames is, it's a river, but there it is flowing as though it's a street. So I wander, not I went, not I wandered, but now it's present tense. I wander through each chartered street near where the chartered Thames does flow. And mark in every face I meet Marks of weakness Marks of woe What's happening with the word mark there? Signs Signs of weakness, signs of woe What about the previous line? To note To note So there, it's not a pun because they're related words To mark something is to Notice it, but notice it so strongly that it's as though you note it or put a mark upon it. So it's not literally putting a mark upon it, but it is the same word. So to mark in every face I meet means to see in every, in every face I meet marks of weakness, marks of woe. So if you took the two meanings of the word mark and brought them a little bit more tightly together what could that mean if mark isn't meaning primarily notice but something stronger than notice I mark
1: so Yeah yeah
0: I mark in every paper I read marks of C's and marks of D's. So what would that mean? Yeah, so that I put a C or a D on every paper that I read and what that means is you see the C and D in every paper that you get back because I am marking that is putting the mark on the piece of paper and now the piece of paper has the mark upon it. So if he marks in every face he meets. If you take that strongly, that it's because he's actually marking those faces, which isn't the primary meaning, but given the fact that he marks marks, it ha- it's there, grammatically. And then what you might get is something like, what do those faces see in him? So he meets people, and he sees marks of weakness, marks of woe. Do you think there are marks of weakness and woe in his face? Or is he exempt? Yes. No, there's
2: marks of weakness and marks of woe in
0: his face. So it may be that partly seeing weakness and woe in others, looking at people and looking for the weakness and woe in their faces is part of what makes human relationships such that people feel weak and woeful. That is, if everyone is looking at everyone else with suspicion, then their suspicion would be ratified that they are around people who they can't trust because those people don't trust them. So this is a description of a certain kind of urban nightmare, which is that mutual fear, as he puts it in the human abstract, that mutual fear makes people dangerous to each other. Mutual fear means that the fact that I fear you means I would be quick to harm you to defend myself. And the fact that you fear me means that you would be quick to harm me to defend yourself. And therefore, the fear is right. If, I'm in a city in which there is mutual fear, then I would be right to be fearful. Because if I started acting all friendly to people, they would think I wanted something from them and they might hurt me to keep me away from them. So, you know, you read about this all the time in newspapers. Someone asks for directions and gets shot or someone offers directions and gets shot. The idea then is something, if you see that idea here, it's something like marking marks of weakness, marks of woe isn't standing above the fray, but it's being part of the fray. The very fact that he does that, he does it because those marks are there, but those marks are there because everyone does that. Every face does that. Everyone he meets does that. It's ubiquitous and it's self-sustaining. And therefore, there is no way out of it. It's anxiety at Brandeis. It's anxiety at Brandeis. Everyone is anxious about what everyone else thinks about them?
1: Yeah, and what they're doing with their lives. Yeah. After their... And it's so sad. Yeah? I'm not looking at you like but
0: I'm just. Wait, who are you not looking at?
1: Oh, because I looked at them, And you made them anxious by doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I, and I also think that, like, the Garden of Love is like it got
1: destroyed and then they built London over it. Wait, say it again? Like, with the Garden of Love, yeah. they, destroyed they
0: destroyed the Garden of Love and built and London. Over it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah.
1: And it's like industrialization. Yeah. And they did this to every place.
0: Yes. Except Waltham. Huh? Known as, known as the Eden on the Charles River. <laughs> Wait, really? No. Oh. No. <laughs> Very much not. No, it was industrial. Uh, Waltham's been industrial since the 19th century. God. Yeah. Okay. That's why it's called Watch City. It's, it's a watch factory. It was all watch factories you can still get Waltham watches even though they don't make them in here anymore but this used to be the watch center of the United States wow. so and that's that's the factories down on the Charles River that are now that are now condos were watch factories so this was the place for a time also presumably for Beaver on City Hall there's is like it bronze Beaver something. oh is that yeah which like absolutely oh, wow. delights me yes yeah yeah <laughs> All right, so... (laughs) Pre-industrial. So, marks of weakness, marks of woe. In every cry of every man. So, every man cries. And in every cry of every man. And in every infant's cry of fear. In every voice. In every ban. So, ban there would mean law, but it would also mean marriage ban. That is... Do people know what marriage bans are? What are they? Like
1: rings?
0: No, not bans. Bans. Oh,
1: oh.
0: Yeah, you have to. If you're going to, it used to be the law that if you were going to get married, the church had to announce the marriage three times before it took place on three separate weeks.
1: You do that that way?
0: Okay, and why do you do it? Honestly,
1: I don't know, but they just shout <laughs> the announcements like at the end of every mass. Yeah. Like the son of. Whatever and the
0: daughter of whatever are finally getting married. Are finally getting married? God, it was so long. Yeah, so the idea was not finally; it was so that it was made public and had to be announced in public, so that if someone knew anything, mainly against the groom, but also against the bride, especially that the groom was already married, for example, this could the marriage could be prevented before it took place. So the idea of the bans is an idea of making it public so that if people had a legal right or recourse to prevent this from happening, they would.
1: Which is then in the ceremony itself, too.
0: Yeah, then in the ceremony, if anyone here knows why this marriage shouldn't take place, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. But the bans were kind of like that part of the ceremony, but for several weeks before the marriage. So in all of these things, including in this promise of marriage, the mind-forged manacles I hear. And so that's a very famous and great line. Mind-forged manacles. What are manacles? Shackles. Shackles. Yeah, and why mind-forged? Because
1: they're abstract.
0: Because they're abstract. They are... Manacles of the mind You could say mind forged Means something like forged for the mind People can wander through the streets of London But their minds are manacled or shackled Which could also mean that they're not real That they are a manipulation of the mind Into a feeling of guilt Which would be what the Garden of Love is about Mind-forged manacles are manacles which all we have to do is think differently and we would be free of them. But we don't think differently. And I hear those things. In every cry, what I'm hearing are those manacles rattling. And then I also hear how the chimney sweepers cry. So we're going back to the chimney sweepers Poems, songs, what do the chimney sweepers cry? Weep. weep, yes. So even the cry offering wares, which are weep, 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 weep. How the chimney sweepers cry, every blackening church appalls. What does that line mean? Every,
2: every church is appalled by the chimney sweepers. Well, they're not no, appalled. appalled
1: It's one of the,
0: the problems. They You yeah, yeah. We should be appalled. It's the the churches. If you say that the that you know this is an appalling mess, as one's parents sometimes say of one's room, when one is me. What? What do you mean? I have no idea what you could be talking about. This is. Have you been to my office?
2: Oh, <laughs> it's, it's actually the coolest place ever <laughs> I actually think it's so cool Yeah, it's really cool I think it's really cool Someone
0: made a movie here a couple of years ago <laughs> Some students made a movie In which Satan is a character They actually hired a professional actor for Satan I think it's, it's still <laughs> on Vimeo And so he works in my office in the movie uh, I let them have my office for Saturday so they could film those scenes, and uh, he's he's right at home in it. So you
3: have quite a reputation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so apparently, who knew? <laughs> um. So sorry. I'm sorry. I told people. That's all right. It's totally fine. You're spreading the word. Yeah.
2: I mean no, but there there's like messy, but this isn't just like this is interesting. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not, no, this is interesting, it's like ki I like the way like when you enter it's like it's cool like it's like, it
1: looks yeah,
2: it's, it, it's it's not a, it's not an ugly mess. You know what I'm saying?
0: There's like a cold to it. Yeah, it's a really cool offense. <laughs> All right. You definitely get a full letter grade for that.
2: No, I actually think
0: so. I didn't I All right. genuinely think so. At any rate, if you think it's an appalling mess, <laughs> it means that the way Blake is using the word appalls is to make appalling. So every chimney sweeper's cry makes the blackening church something appalling. And why blackening church? The soot. The soot, yeah, but then it's blackening as in metaphorical. That is that the church is blackened. The chimney sweepers are supposed to be cleaning soot. But the very fact that the church permits and encourages this, remember that the that one of the chimney sweepers' parents had gone to the church to pray, which we now find out if we didn't see it from the experienced chimney sweeper song, means that one of the things that the church is doing is it is getting the parents to go somewhere where they won't see what's happening to their children. Go to church and don't see what's happening on the streets where the children are treated so appallingly. So the churches are metaphorically blackening, becoming places of evil and of hellishness. We can see that by the chimney sweepers' cry, the fact that the chimney sweepers are in the city blackens the reputation of the churches in the city. So literally, the chimney sweepers clean the soot out of chimneys, and figuratively, they turn the churches black with the soot that they're cleaning from the chimneys. So how the chi- chimney sweepers cry, every blackening church appalls. What do you think appalls means literally or etymologically? What have
1: you to do with the appalls? Like paling? Paling,
0: yeah, yeah, makes white. So the word appalls means to make pale. Not white as in clean, but white with fear. So when
2: you're appalled, you're like so shocked that you turn white? Yes, Okay. yeah. So
0: it's all the blood drains from you. And therefore... It's, he's using the word both literally and figuratively, and he's saying the whiteness of the church is, as John Milton, one of his one favoritist poet, poets, says, um, that, that, the, that, that what you get is what Milton calls an excremental whiteness, which is quite a phrase from his... <laughs> are you going to write that down? Yeah from his uh, prose tract on freedom of, uh, freedom of the Press called Ariapagetica, an excremental whiteness. And it's the same whiteness that Melville will pick up in the chapter on the whiteness of the whale in Moby Dick, where, the, where that whiteness is also called appalling. So every blackening church is appalled, is made appalling given maybe its literal cleansing, but only literal, that is the removal of soot, has the effect of making it appalling and therefore figuratively blackening it so how the chimney sweepers cry, every blackening church appalls and the hapless soldier's sigh runs in blood down palace walls so the soldier has no choice, people are soldiers because they're poor and they have no other way of surviving. And their side, that is their need, let's say, for food, for sustenance, turns into blood running down palace walls. Yeah.
1: Um, And that line also reminds me of this end of the chapter in War and Peace when the soldiers start fighting. Uh And then I think it's a commander or something who says, your job isn't to ask questions. Yeah. Because they had suffered so much and they were like, Why are we doing this? Like what is the meaning of life and like whatnot? And then they were like, Your purpose is not to ask questions, it's like to do and yeah. it's like, Whoa, it's like some it's a metaphor of like for life, like the mind forge manacles, it's yeah. like just a little robots.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and notice that man turns into manacle. That is that there's a kind of pun. On the word "man" becoming "manacle," uh, the reason man, the word "manacle" means something that chains the hands. The "man" in "manacle" is from mm. "manus," hand, not from "man" as in male. But the you know when people say "man the decks" or "man the torpedoes," that might mean we. It's like all hands on deck. Not we need men there, but we need hands there. But at any rate, manacles means the chaining of hands. And manual labor is labor of your hands. So yeah, the hapless soldiers, it turns into blood running down palace walls because palaces are what are attacked and defended. And in the same way as the church is blackened, the palaces are made scarlet with the blood of Hapless soldiers. But most through midnight streets I hear how the youthful harlot's curse blasts the newborn infant's tear. So, harlots are prostitutes. They're youthful because they like the chimney sweeper. My father sold me while yet my tongue. Scarce could cry, weep, 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 weep. So they become prostitutes very young because that's the only way to make money. And the harlot's curse is venereal disease. And it's also the literal curse. They are cursing the children that they have had
2: Wait, as what? children
0: themselves. What
2: is harlot's curse
0: again? So it's, it's venereal disease, the curse Here would mean disease caught by having sex, gonorrhea. Oh,
2: okay.
0: And they are cursing the children that this terrible profession has inevitably caused them to have, whom they can't take care of, and the newborn infant is weeping, and instead of being comforted by its mother... Its mother is cursing it, not because she's evil, but because the situation is evil, and she can't take care of it.
2: Oh, it's it's like a child mother, or like a teen mother?
0: Yeah it's a, yeah, it's a teen mother who has had a child because she's had to be a prostitute. So she's youthful, and she is a prostitute, and the mother of a newborn infant. And Thanks. the.
2: It's almost like we're zooming out of the of the um, the other poem about um, of the chimney sweeper poem. Yeah. and seeing the whole exactly world,
0: exactly
2: or all of London rather. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, where is Waldo? And it's like you can spot the chimney sweeper. Yes. It.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you did a sort of Hieronymus Bosch painting of this, you would see the chimney sweeper at one yeah. place and the I children think that's going to church. This poem. Yeah. It was so hard of Yeah. Well, we'll do a lovely poem in a minute. And blights with plagues, the marriage hearse, means to blight with plagues there means something like curses. God's plagues blight you. So sometimes we will we will use the word blight as a verb to mean curse with a blight. But it also literally means blights with plagues because... The husbands in the marriage hearse have also got VD from the time they've spent with the youthful harlots before and perhaps after their marriage. So the marriage hearse is, so the young wives who themselves are not harlots because they come from a higher class and can get married and ride in a carriage and have their bands read out at church. They're not exempt from the plague either. That is from gonorrhea or possibly syphilis as well, but gonorrhea is probably what he's thinking about. So it's not that pleasant a place, London, as he's describing it. If you're thinking of junior year abroad, you should keep this in mind. Just saying. (laughs) Are you thinking you're abroad? <laughs> not it,
3: in London, actually.
2: Okay,
0: it's different. Okay, <laughs> Now, London is is a place with many, many, many really fancy, empty buildings. Yeah. Yes.
1: And bitter people.
0: And, and, <laughs> well, they're not, they weren't. At, London didn't vote for Brexit, so they're bitter about Brexit. I, don't know, I just
1: don't like, like at least like, when I go there, I feel very foreign.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because people seem so bitter, or I don't know, I don't know
1: what it is about the place. But like in other places, I feel like I just fit in. Yeah. But yeah, it's like I always have this
0: self-conscious come up from. Well, London's. I've been there for a long time, but its cosmopolitanism is different from other cosmopolitanisms, Mm -hmm. which is that, yeah, there are people from all over in London, but the result is that. Everyone thinks they should mind their own business yeah. instead of interacting with people yeah. from all over, and I think that's different from New York, for example. Yeah, mm.
1: like if you go into like a subway in New York City, I feel like the experience is much more thrilling. Yeah. And if you go into like a tube in London, it's like really depressing.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because I don't know why. Like, I would never account for like, the difference.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, I, I think that New York, especially going inside, whether it's so diverse that, you it's so diverse that everyone's gonna be alone and so no one's gonna be alone. But if you go to a place like London, like the culture that is so established and it's not so diverse, so if you're different, then you stand out. Mm-hmm.
0: So take a look for a completely different kind of poem, a beautiful poem. This is something that Blake wrote It probably as a teenager and maybe as young as 14. And it's, it's really lovely. It's page 357 if you have the Norton. And it's the poem called To the Evening Star. Oh, we, we are, but first we're going to have a little change of pace. 357, 357. It just—it's—it's it's a palate cleanser. Let's call it that. We need if that. We need that because Stella's going to get our palates, uncleansed again. Music. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just read it. The thing to notice about it right away is that it's a sonnet. You wouldn't notice it if you didn't notice it, because it doesn't rhyme. So it's that rarity, an unrhymed sonnet. The evening star is Venus. Everyone knows that. And it's sometimes called the folding star. Do you know that? Do you know the term the folding star? It's a term the first time you hear it, you think, well, that's not poetic. But fold there means sheepfold. And the folding star is the star that when you see it, it's time to bring the sheep back to the fold. So... It is, so folding there, the verb to fold doesn't mean to take a piece of paper and fold it up. It means to bring the sheep back to their fold. It's a different meaning, completely different meaning of the word fold. So the folding star is the evening star. It means that it's time, that the day's work is over. It's shepherds love the folding star. So here's a little prayer to the evening star And as I say, he may have been 14 when he wrote this. Thou fair-haired angel of the evening, now, while the sun rests on the mountains, light thy bright torch of love. So everyone knows that Venus sets right after sunset. Do people know this astronomically? That Venus, except during a transit of Venus, which you really need special equipment to see, the only time you will see Venus... Is within an hour or so of sunset or within an hour or so of dawn. The reason being okay, tiny little bit of astronomy. Here's the Sun. Here is Mercury, Venus, and the Earth, then Mars, etc. And if you are on Earth looking towards Venus, you are also basically looking in the direction of the sun. So the only time you can see Venus is if it's up here, so you're still looking towards Venus and also in the direction of the sun, or if it's down here. So as the Earth rotates, let's say it's rotating this way, then the sun sets from earthly perspective and Venus will set a little bit afterwards so here we're seeing the Sun here the Sun sets but we can still see Venus and then here a little bit later Venus sets the other possibility is that it's getting to be morning and we see Venus and then a little bit later we see the Sun so Venus rises and a little bit later the Sun rises so Venus either depending on which side of the Sun it's on with respect to us Venus will either set within an hour or so of sunset or rise within an hour or so of sunrise. Ancient astronomers knew that Venus was closer to the sun than we were, and that Mars was farther away from the sun than we were from this fact. Even when they thought the Earth was the center of the universe, they still knew the order from this fact. This is important not only for this poem, But as you'll see, it's going to be important to the Intimations Ode, which is Wordsworth's great poem, and in a sense, the central poem of this course. So this is something to know that Venus, if you see Venus, it's either just after sunset or it's just before sunrise. And Venus is never in the sky, visible in the sky, for more than about an hour. So if you're seeing Venus as the evening star, You're seeing something beautiful, but it's not going to last long. It's going to set soon. So, thou fair-haired angel of the evening, now while the sun rests on the mountains, which is why you can see it, light thy bright torch of love, thy radiant crown put on, and smile upon our evening bed. Smile on our loves And while thou drawest the blue curtains of the sky, Scatter thy silver dew on every flower That shuts its sweet eyes in timely sleep. Let thy west wind sleep on the lake, Speak silence with thy glimmering eyes, And wash the dusk with silver. Soon, full soon, dost thou withdraw. Venus will set soon. Soon, full soon, dost thou withdraw. Then the wolf rages wide and the lion glares through the dun forest. The fleeces of our flocks are covered with thy sacred dew. Protect them with thine influence. So a beautiful prayer to Venus as they go home and avoid the terrors of night. Notice that again Blake's radical experimentation here this is something that we wouldn't notice now but that everyone would have noticed at the end of the 18th century that not only is this an unrhymed sonnet but this is one of the extremely few cases in any poetry ever where a line of poetry ends with the word the in line 5 smile in our love and while thou drawest the blue curtains of the sky And you may not even notice it. And yet, it's an amazing thing to do. So, that was your palate cleanser. Now to the Book of Thel. And I guess what we'll do is we'll go through it today and Monday. After that, we're doing The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. But the Book of Thel, it's... Strange and interesting. And Thel is quite a character. Thel's motto. What does motto mean? Does anyone know? This is page forty-nine. Catchphrase. Catchphrase hmm. is kind of what it means now. Yeah. It. Do you know the history of that? Like, mottos are also phrases. It's there. There's like slogans. That's so. Like on standards and banners, yeah, and on coats of arms. So a motto is a phrase or slogan, which is thought, although it turns out I think not to be true, that slogan is a mishearing of some word for horn. Slughorn is what Robert Browning thought it was. But a slogan or a motto is something associated, is a commitment of the person whose slogan or motto it is. It's also the actually the correct name for what we always call epigraphs. So if you have a little quotation at the beginning of a chapter or a book, the correct name for that epigraph is fine, and no one is going to say it's incorrect, but the true correct name for that is motto. So a motto... It comes from the word in French, mot, which means word word or saying. That is, a bon mot isn't, oh, I said a good word, the. A bon mot is a set of words which are pithy and when said are powerful. So motto is like that use of the word mot, M-O-T, in French. So Thel's motto is, does the eagle know what is in the pit? Or wilt thou go ask the mole? Can wisdom be put in a silver rod, or love in a golden bowl? So, a strange idea. Why are you smiling, Tavara? Because it's
1: beautiful.
0: Uh huh. Okay.
1: Like
0: the 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 yeah, sound. yeah. Okay, good. And the question then. Does the eagle know what's in the pit or will thou go ask the mole? What's the right answer to that question? You
1: have
0: to go ask the mole. Yeah, why? Because the eagle can't see. From that. Well, the eagle is flying in the sky. Yeah. And if you really want to know what's in the pit, you have to ask the mole, which is, which is burrowing under the earth towards the pit. So do you want to know what's in the pit if the... Knowledge of what's in the pit is mole-like rather than eagle-like. It's not an obvious answer. It may be that you have to ask the mole. It's a rhetorical, it's an interesting thing, which is a rhetorical question whose answer you don't know. You do know the eagle doesn't know what's in the pit, but will you go ask the mole or not? And what about this? Can wisdom be put in a silver rod? Or love in a golden bowl? So, golden bowl, that's a famous phrase. It starts out, as the footnote tells you, in Proverbs. And it ends up where? Anyone know? Or, oh, sorry, in Ecclesiastes, not Proverbs. Anyone know where it ends up? Broken Golden Bowl Golden Bowl with a flaw in it that can't be seen by its two purchasers not that you've necessarily read the novel Henry James James novel The Golden Bowl Henry James' greatest novel in which there's a scene in which the prince and the woman he's been seeing purchase a golden bowl for kind of cheap because there's something wrong with it but what's wrong with it can't be seen it's flawed but it's flaw can't be seen so that's the the, the scene which gives the novel its title
2: in this motto also, because like, Thel
0: ends with the thinking paint. about
2: the curve of flesh and the yeah. nostril and the senses again. Yeah. Um,
0: and so eagles are, were thought to like, build a stare into the sun something mm-hmm. that we can't do yeah, um, that e- yeah, eagles would clear their eyes when their eyes got scaled over. The belief was that they would look straight at the sun, and the sun would burn the scales off their eyes. When you say the scales have fallen from my eyes, that's actually a reference to a, a belief about eagles that their eyes would scale over, but the sun would bur- burn the scales away. Go on, and, and likewise moles. I don't know if they actually are, but traditionally I thought to be blind. Yeah, they're um, close to blind. Yeah.
2: Um, so it's just like, it begins with this question of like the
0: limits of the senses. Yeah. And what would the silver rod be, English majors? Pen. What? No, say it. Pen. Pen, Pen. that you write with? Yeah. And what are pens, English majors, when poets talk about... Mightier than the sword. Sorry? <laughs> Mightier than the sword. Um... <laughs> What are rods and bowls, English majors?
2: Everything's a penis, that's like the
0: first thing. Not you know. the bowls. Yes, rods are penises and bowls are, right yes, and bowls are? No, <laughs> I love this idea. If you're, going, if you're going to take your silver rod and put love into the golden bowl with your silver rod, what are you doing? English majors. You are. What is
1: it called? Having sex. Yes. I was trying to look for a fancy. My English majors. Copulating. English majors, what is that what is that image? It's just the most
3: common symbol. <laughs>
1: it's just such
3: a basic symbol. Really? It. Yeah, okay.
0: Oh. No, the, the the first thing English majors learn is that everything's a phallic symbol, right? Oh. right. Like, what's that? I didn't. <laughs> well, uh, then no, you were no, severely... Be really that's because you went to Barnard. Ancient, ancient. No, it's because you went to Barnard. What is this? Quick. <laughs> I'm be
2: able quick, to quick, what's that? what's that? What's that? What's that?
0: It's a phallic symbol. What's that? Good. What's that pencil? Yeah, what isn't?
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You not drink out yeah. of it anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's
0: what Freud says at the end of his great essay called... Um, Is it a note upon the mystic writing pad where... No, it isn't. What essay is it? Oh, shoot. I can't believe I can't remember what essay it is. But at any rate, he says, who would walk the earth if he knew that walking the earth was treading the body of his mother? And who would write if he knew that the pen stood for the penis with which he was staining the paper? which he was trying to take from his father in staining the paper. Freud is explaining hysteria there, and he says the reason hysterics become paralyzed is because they think they're walking on their mothers, and the reason that they can't move their hands to write with is because they think writing is actually a sexual violation. So that's, so Freudians, instead of English majors, how about Freudians? They used to be the same thing. Not anymore. What?
1: He, not a bucket Freud did? Yeah. Yeah. He,
0: he did. Well, he had one, but he was the wrong one. It was his friend Fleiss. wrong guy to be a therapist. Freud also said
2: sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs>
1: you, have you have a moral t- fixation, <laughs> <fiction>, sir. Yes.
0: <laughs> no. When he but when he says but if you say sometimes a cigar is just a cigar it isn't. Wait, only
1: no,
0: <laughs> sometimes <laughs> is it is. Yeah. Most of the time it's not a cigar. It's a phallic symbol.
1: Because he smoked a lot of cigars. He he died Uh of cancer. He died
0: of oral cancer.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. I think he was smoking until the end, wasn't he? Yeah,
0: he was.
2: Wait,
3: and he He smoked
2: smoked and he still called it a phallic civil?
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, because, you know, like. <laughs> 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 I, have tru- I, have I have trouble with just saying the that there's no situation. such thing as coincidence. And if and like mean how
0: it how you mean when Freud says it? Well, he doesn't quite say that. He like
1: doesn't? Well, he does at one point, but what he really says
0: is there are no psychic accidents. No, what? Psychic accidents.
1: Because I think there's coincidence. just like dug or smoke, for example. It's an example of an oral fixation. And he smoked
0: a lot, so according to his theory, he had an oral fixation. Okay. Well, there's no question that, <laughs> that yeah. No, it's 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 there's a received version of Freud, which it's really easy to poo-poo. But Freud is actually amazingly subtle and amazingly smart, and there is no question that there's a whole lot of orality in sexuality for humans. Uh, or also for kicklids for kind of fish, but for quite different reasons. But that human sexuality has a large oral component, which isn't true of a lot of mammals, um, and that it also has an anal component, which is not true, or which is completely true for some mammals and not true for others. And Freud is interested in how it is that something not strictly necessary to reproduction, like orality and anality, is nevertheless so much part of human sexual experience. And the answer he gives is essentially that... It's an answer that that neuroscientists give in completely different ways now, but it's the same basic idea, which is that the programming of the human mind and of the human brain has to do a lot with available materials and so that a lot of materials are connected to each other because they're, they're reused and the idea then basically is that if you have the way you would put it, if you gave a computer science version of it, is that if you have a subroutine that works you can use that subroutine in different programs. And the subroutine that works for humans is, for example, that physical contact can have a large oral component because we nursed as children, and therefore nursing is a sign of love in the Songs of Innocence, if in the Song of Innocence of your life, nursing is love and closeness with someone that you love, and then when love gets repurposed as sexual love, you have this subroutine which is already established to make nursing possible, and therefore the orality of infancy becomes part of sexuality. And for Freud, it's how sexuality builds up in developmentally for human beings. So that's a very quick explanation of something which otherwise would just sound like, why does he think that orality is sexual? And the answer is, well, because it is, because a whole or what because the answer is that a lot of sex is is has an oral component. And then the question is, how does it get that oral component? Why does it get that oral component? And Freud has a really good explanation, which is that it's a subroutine which is necessary and then is repurposed because that's economical. And if you see things that way, then you can, you can start seeing that Freud's arguments are make a kind of sense. And even if you're suspicious of them, they start making a kind of sense. So if your orality is focused on a cigar as Freud's was and as many people's were and as many people who vape now there's an equivalent there if your orality is focused on something that looks phallic the question is is it purely accidental that it looks phallic or that it's got a phallic aspect to it or does that make sense in some ways as again a repurposing of a subroutine so, what you would say is that what advertisers do, what sellers of things like cigarettes and cigars do, is that they figure out, whether they know it or not, they're figuring out subroutines that belong to the human brain and they repurpose them. And that's what people who, there's a book by, um, what's his name, Michael Lewis, the guy who wrote The Big Short about Ken, Kahneman and Tversky who figured out all sorts of behavioral shortcuts that human beings take. And those behavioral shortcuts are also subroutines. That is that, do you guys know the book Thinking Fast and Slow? So it's a totally great book. If there's a nonfiction book that you should read to figure out how you're being manipulated, Thinking Fast and Slow is the one to do it. And Kahneman, Tversky died. Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for the work that, that went into this book. And what Thinking Fast and Slow is about is thinking is hard. And most of the time what we do is we use knowledge that we already have to avoid the, the extreme energy and extreme time that real thinking takes. So when we're making snap judgments, we do it based on what he calls heuristics. And those heuristics are just very quick ways that we have of judging the world. And um, those are judgments that developed evolutionarily. And usually they work. But you can manipulate them. And he and Tversky figured out amazing ways to manipulate them to show, to get people to, to make decisions that were irrational because they were using, making snap judgments and they didn't know that they were making snap judgments on the basis of planted clues. And this was a great insight into what's called behavioral economics. And now advertisers have read this book And they're making ads based on the discoveries that Kahneman made. So, in fact, this thing that was supposed to make us see more clearly how we're being manipulated becomes a Bible for manipulation. And so that idea of this Bible for manipulation, a lot of Freudian ideas allow for the same kind of manipulation. And, you know, if you think of... There used to be a cigarette, um, Benson and Hedges... 101s and their slogan was their motto was a silly a silly millimeter longer because they weren't hundred millimeters long They were 101 so what guy wouldn't want to be even a millimeter longer in the cigarette that he's smoking really if you think about it That was the point of that cigarette ad so no one is saying oh Wow, I get it. It makes me feel manly, but everyone is thinking oh length good so that's, that is the repurposing of a subroutine, as you could call it. Okay, we'll do more Book of Thel and read The Marriage of Heaven and Hell for Monday. And have a good week.